Hey, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall. Where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. This week, we wanted to offer you seven ways that you can support diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice in the rehearsal and production process, thus creating a safe and equitable rehearsal environment, which we all strive to do moving forward in this industry. But before we dive into our conversation, uh, Tim, do you want to give us your puzzler this week? All right, here we go. What 1937 musical was temporarily shut down by the WPA a few days before it was set to open on Broadway? This is an interesting one. I can't wait to talk about it. It is a very interesting musical, and I'm excited to talk about it too. So we'll discover that answer together at the end of this episode. What is the first factor that artistic directors, season selection committees, all of these folks that are putting together their upcoming seasons. So we're really talking about after the summer, the fall, the spring. Mm-hmm. What is the first factor that they could consider? Ensuring that every production includes a diverse creative team. So we're talking about the collaborative process amongst the director, the choreographer, the music director, anybody that is working directly with the actors must be reflective not only of the show that they are working on, but also the student body that is working on the production itself. The students and those that are participating in a production outside of a collegiate environment in the professional arena, in regional theater, professional theater, they want to see themselves reflected in their creatives so that there is a common common denominator between the two of them. So we want to ensure that every single production includes a diverse creative team. In my experience as a performer, I have yet to have the experience of working with a director that is a person of color. I've worked with two, I think maybe three female directors my entire professional career, and then everybody else has been white men. And this is something that has has been in the past, has been something that is always discussed. We would love to see different genders. We would love to see different people of a color. We'd love to see different experiences that are going to lead the ship, and it still hasn't happened. It really ensures that no actors within the production are being tokenized in any way, shape, or form. And it allows the actors to see themselves reflected in the creative experience. And I think that's a really important thing that we all have to deeply and profoundly consider as we move forward in building our creative teams for any production, whether it's a play or a musical. What does often get frustrating to me is in the regional theater aspect, we do see the same people directing. We see Mm -hmm. the same people choreographing. We see the same people coming back to every single theater. And I understand if it is something where it's like at a college level and those are the faculty. But the idea that we're not seeing different types of people being represented in leadership positions, it trickles down because it makes me feel like I can't be a director because I am a woman. Mm-hmm. Or folks that we know that are people of color, know you as a, as a Latinx director, you've directed at the college level all different types of, of musicals and plays, but why aren't we seeing those folks also being represented in the regional theater, even in the community theater? One thing that we can do right now is start to allow people the opportunity that maybe 
haven't worked, haven't directed professionally yet. Ha- let them have the opportunity, those folks that are ready, that have taken degrees, have had training, have had experience, and that are ready for that opportunity, let them have an opportunity to stretch their wings mm-hmm. and learn because the best way we learn is by doing. And the best leaders are the ones that empower and create and open doors for those that have been marginalized or have not had the opportunity to have a voice yet in, in a leadership capacity. What is the second factor that they could consider? Hiring an intimacy director. And this is something that has really been in conversation with uh, seasons, regional theater companies, professional theater companies, even collegiate environments. Uh, the the imperative, na- the importance of bringing someone on to create a culture of consent in the rehearsal environment, which, you know, when we were coming up, and I'm not just talking about specifically just physical intimacy. I'm talking about intimacy in any way, shape, or form that may take place in a production. Uh, and by creating a system of best practices, uh, everyone will be speaking the same language in a production. There won't be any confusion or questions about, you know, um, is some is is any particular moment as far as intimacy within a show triggering for a particular actor. I think an intimacy director is now imperative moving forward within any theatrical production, uh, even even if the intimacy is at its smallest point. There must be that level of common language and consent that exists within the rehearsal process. And I know what many theaters are going to respond with is, we don't have the funds. And this is my response to that, is we have to find the funds because creating harm to the people in the room does not make it it doesn't make it okay because we can't afford it you know find the funds funnel them from other places because again we did a whole podcast on on trauma and acting and we don't want that to happen anymore it is not worth it yeah an intimacy director really i believe should be on the same level as director choreographer music director we we can no longer rely on just uh our lack of training into intimacy to get us by in a production. We need to bring somebody that is trained, a trained professional or th- someone that has gone through the certifications to to conduct the choreography uh, regarding intimacy. I think it's imperative moving forward. And again, that's a great opportunity to bring in um, a person of color or someone else that can offer another experience to support the way that the production is being directed by, you know, ultimately by the director, but everybody's on board. Everybody is working together down the same path. Yeah. What is the third element that they could consider? Establishing inclusive casting policies from the onset. So we all go on to, you know, backstage, we go into Playbill, we go on to Actors' Equity, wherever we're looking for auditions. And most theater companies today will have their their little line item that says, you know, we are an anti-racist theater organization. We are dedicated to promoting an inclusive environment. That is wonderful. Now, and a lot of times that's kind of the only thing they put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to take it a step further. I hope that when when theater companies are considering any given production, they are looking for areas within the production where the show presents inclusive casting opportunities for actors. Uh, being open to seeing students from the global majority uh, in roles that may they may not traditionally have been assigned in in previous types of productions, um, looking for opportunities to uh, to promote 
uh, actors with disabilities and give them opportunities to shine within the roles. Uh, really thinking outside of the box and and opening the doors for more inclusivity in the actual casting choices that are created. Of course, as long as they work with the spirit of the production, the intentions of the playwright, et cetera. Um, and there's there's a couple areas where we can also look at this casting breakdown, how we how we identify character breakdowns within the show. Um, we can also um, offer accessibility accommodations in our callbacks. You know, there's a number of things we can do. One thing I've noticed lately in audition submissions and self-tapes, whether it's you know union auditions or non-union auditions, even some community theater auditions I've noticed lately, have been including a track, a sheet music, mm. and even parts for folks to learn the music. And I think at the community theater level, that is such a great way to help folks feel confident when they go into the audition room. And I think also gender disparity plays heavily into the casting breakdowns oftentimes. Oftentimes those that don't subscribe to the traditional binary gender uh, ideology find themselves left out of the conversation as far as the character breakdowns. Oftentimes a character breakdown will say, she is this kind of person or he is this kind of person. Is there an opportunity within the character breakdowns as far as the directorial concept to say we are open to all gender identities uh, for this particular role? And I think that's one other step that we can really look at in terms of making the casting policies more inclusive. There's a few examples I've seen that recent, recently um, on auditions on Playbill and Actors' Equity where they are stating these roles we are open to please submit all different types of people we're not stuck on the gender that is written in the script but that also just depends upon the rights and how they mm -hmm. have the ability legally to adjust those absolutely yeah what's the fourth element that they could consider creating an anti-racist rehearsal environment from the first day of rehearsals uh if there are funds available, making it a priority to bring in an anti-racism expert from the onset and spend a day or two at the onset of the rehearsal process to talk about what constitutes a safe, equitable rehearsal and production process for not just the actors, but the staff and the designers, everyone. It's an opportunity to create a common language, to, to provide some education, and to really show that your production company is at the forefront of fighting and championing for anti-racism anti within theater arts. Absolutely. What a valuable piece of information to consider. And anybody that is unaware or doesn't feel like they have the knowledge of how to move forward, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to ask or reach out to folks in the community if you don't understand something, if you don't understand why these are important elements or how best to go about it. I always say reach out, get references, see what other people are doing out there that can help you learn the ways to move forward the best way in your community, in your production, in your theater, and in you know what level that you are working at. And speaking of community, the next, uh, the next point that I want to talk about is supporting the community. Are there ways within the production that you can support the community that you are represented in the production? Being in conversation early and often with anti-racist organizations or any organizations that are affiliated with the themes and topics that you are addressing, 
how can you bring them into the rehearsal process to create a more enriching uh, rehearsal and theatrical experience for the actors, designers, staff, everyone involved? I have found when we bring in research, we bring in people from the outside that work on a production and bring further context to the production, the students feel so much more connected to the work than they ever did before. It's no longer just an entertainment show that we're putting on. It's now we're telling a story that is supporting and advocating for a particular community of people. Do you have an example of, of a couple examples that you've done in the past with that as a director? When I directed my production of Bodas de Sangre, uh, we were fortunate enough to have the former one of the former heads of the Spanish department at our college serve as la madre in the production. And not only you know was she wonderful actress, uh, but she also was able to work with us on perfecting the Spanish. And we even brought Catalan, the 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 dialect uh, of of the language that was used in Bodas de Sangre in the production. So the students had a really culturally enriching experience talking about culture, talking about the language, the vernacular. Uh, and it was really a fruitful experience. And I felt like it gave the students a much more profound connection to the material that they hadn't had before. What's the sixth element that someone could consider? Facilitating audience talkbacks. I know sometimes for actors that can that can feel a little bit um, monotonous to do an audience talkback, but I hope that whoever is choosing to do an audience talkback or whatever producing company is informing the actors about the importance of what an audience talkback can really facilitate. Um, it gives audience members the opportunity to ask questions about the content they just experienced. And it's a way for us to engage with the community, uh, to further illuminate the community uh, of audience members about the content, about the themes, uh, maybe put to rest some questions that some audience members had while watching the production. Uh, it also humanizes the actors and it puts them kind of on the same uh, level as the audience members so that it helps, it honestly helps the audience feel more connected to the production. And included as well. Mm -hmm. I did that um, I kind of as an experiment when I directed American Idiot at the college level. And it was the first time that we had really sold out a production at that, at that college in many, many years because I really got the community involved. And of course, it was a production that many people in the community <laughs> came to see the musical because of the music that weren't you know, musical mm -hmm. theater people. And we announced it, you know, before the show and it was in the program and many people stayed after the show to ask, you know, the entire cast questions about musical theater because they didn't know that a show like that could be created that they would enjoy because they mm -hmm. don't like, you know, <laughs> the traditional musical. And it was fascinating to see the audience ask questions about the themes and how it was different than what they had understood just by hearing the album not knowing that it was a musical. And it was just such a, a joyful experience to see the students take pride in their work and to be able to share their opinions, share their thoughts, and created such a, a, a well-balanced dialogue between audience and, and those folks on stage and working backstage and all of the instrumentalists that were live. So it just creates that good that connection in the community. And what is the final element that they could consider? Holding a space for a production post-mortem. So uh, for those of you that don't know what a post-mortem is, it's an opportunity for the cast and creatives to all assemble after the production has closed and kind of have a debrief about the experience of the production. Not so much about the show itself, but 
more about the experience that the actors, staff, and designers all had working on the production. It's a great way for um, our producing artistic directors, heads of programs, to get a sense for what the rehearsal climate was like and make any improvements or adjustments moving forward so that we continue to strive for a more safe, equitable environment for everyone. It also gives the folks, and I think that we're really talking about at the college level, at the educational level, perhaps the community college, I mean, at the community theater level, because really we can't do this at the regional theater level. And we definitely wouldn't want to do this for folks that this is their job, but we're really specifically talking about in the educational atmosphere and training, you know, pre-professionals. I think this is such a great opportunity again for, for folks to have an experience to discuss, you know, not what went well and what didn't went well, but how things could be improved. It gives great feedback a space if if it's kept in a positive format for, especially if this is run by faculty, for the students to have a space to say, you know, this happened and I wish it, it kind of gone this mm-hmm. direction instead, as long as it's done in a way, again, for everybody to move forward. Right. It doesn't become. It's not. It's not an opportunity just to just to grieve air uh, air grievances. Yes, it is moderated and it is it is pointed and it is directed towards creating further illumination for the creative team to better their process. Let's wrap back around to our puzzler for today. You want to read the question again, and we'll we'll talk about the answer. Okay, the puzzler was what nineteen thirty seven musical was temporarily shut down by the WPA a few days before it was set to open on Broadway. And the answer is... The Cradle Cradle Will Will Rock. Rock. 1937, musical by Mark Blitstein, uh, directed by Orson Welles. Uh, Very controversial at the time. Uh, We're we're in the height of the Great Depression, and uh, the WPA, for those of you that don't know, was the Works Progress Administration. It was a government organization that was created as part of the New Deal to bring actors back to work, to get them back into theater. The, the stipulation, uh, there couldn't be anything really controversial in terms of the subject matter. And and for those of us that don't know, the Cradle of Rock is basically not anti-government, but but saying rise up, unionize, uh, protest uh, the, the injustices that are occurring within our government. And so, of course, the government was not a big fan of that at the time. And so they wanted to shut the theater down and to bypass- The production down. The production, production sorry. Down, yeah. Not the theater, but the production. And to bypass that, the cast secretly assembled at a different theater down the road. And Mark Blitzstein, the composer, got on stage by himself on the piano the cast secretly got sat inside the inside the house as part of the audience and during the production the various audience members would stand up and speak or sing their line throughout so technically it wasn't a production it was, <laughs> it was more of a a solo performance by mark blitzstein of the cradle will rock that happened to have cast members in the audience and that's how they were to bypass the WPA. So there's actually a movie out uh, with it uh, that talks about this whole experience as well. So it's a really cool little moment in history. Thanks for joining us this week. And we will, of course, see you in a new episode next week. Mm-hmm.